I'm going to read two passages, the first being Exodus 4, 21 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. And the second passage is Exodus 12, verses 1 through 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with leaven, unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be with you this evening, virtually. It's uh, appropriately quiet here and pensive. Um, it reminds me the other day I was, we were reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to the kids on Wednesday, and the storm clouds started gathering, so we were looking out of the window before it rained, and the, the sky was turning gray and ominous. At the same time in the story, when Aslan, who was the Christ figure, was headed toward his death, at the hands of the white witch. And Noel, my six-year-old, turned to me and said, Dad, the story is getting sad, and it's getting sad outside. And I liked that so much, I immediately went and wrote it down. Um, and it just seemed fitting uh, for ourselves this evening that tonight as a church family is when we take time to look at the dark part of the story, of our story, and we join Christians around the, the globe who are remembering the death of Christ today, his betrayal, his suffering, and his crucifixion. 
And the heaviness of the story fits with the heaviness of the world we find ourselves in. We live in a broken world. We already lived in a broken world, but then we face the new threat of COVID-19 and the financial turmoil it's causing, and that just adds to the list of the things that are, have gone wrong here. And yet we know that God can work redemption even out of our darkest stories. Uh, Pastor Johnny shared this quote with me earlier today from N.T. Wright, which I really appreciated. He wrote, The chaos and mystery of this present world is, it seems, the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. And here in the story of Scripture in Exodus, we see the darkness of the world, and we see God's people enslaved, being ruled over by an evil king, and they have no clear way out of their bondage. But the Lord has come to help. And we're going to see that he is going to go to battle for their redemption. And if the story of Exodus sounds a lot like the story of Good Friday and Easter, that's because it's supposed to. The story of Exodus is, in the Old Testament, the great picture and the great type of our salvation. So tonight we are going to focus in on the battles. In both the, in both the story of Exodus and the story of Good Friday, we see Yahweh heading in to battle. The tone is heavy and the mood is somber. God has had enough. And we're going to see tonight that God is going and he's going to go fight for his people. He loves them and no one can stop his purposes or his plans. Let's pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you when we pause and we remember, Jesus, what you did on our behalf, how you, with your face set towards Jerusalem, went into suffering and death and shame in order to achieve our redemption. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We remember that tonight. We pray for our church family, scattered though we are, that we could be one in spirit. We pray for those who are in need or who are suffering, that we could be the body of Christ to them and that you would be their comfort and their help. And Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word into our hearts and grow our love and our affection for your son Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we pick up where Pastor Manfred left off, where Moses has just met the angel of the Lord who appeared inside of a burning bush. And Yahweh tells Moses that the time of patience is over and it's time for the battle. It's time to fight. We read this earlier, but listen to Exodus 4 again. It's, God says, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So Yahweh says, let my son go or else. And then the battle begins. Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh and his magicians, and there's a power showdown. And Pharaoh's magicians cannot keep up with Moses and Aaron. And we don't have time to go into all the detail of all the 10 plagues, but the first plagues are showing that Yahweh is more powerful and superior to all the local gods of Egypt. So Isis, who was the goddess of the Nile for the Egyptians, can't stop the Nile from turning to blood. And Hecate, 
the frog-headed goddess of birth can't stop the plague of frogs, and the gods of the cattle can't keep the animals alive, and the gods of the weather and of the harvest can't stop the hail or the locusts, and on it goes. Yahweh is winning. And then we get to the ninth plague, which was a thick and ominous darkness that lasted for three days, showing God's power over the sun god Ra and over Pharaoh. And nothing is killed on the ninth, in the ninth plague, but it's painted as Pharaoh's last chance. After this, the Lord tells Moses that Pharaoh's time is over. It's up. The darkness is sort of the warning shot, and the next round is live ammo. Yahweh himself is coming. Listen to Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses says, said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. So Yahweh, through his servant Moses, has defeated all the gods of Egypt, and yet Pharaoh, who is supposed to be a picture and a type of Satan, just won't yield. He will not let the people go. And so God tells Moses he's coming down, and he's going to finish the battle. Um, when I was a kid, my favorite movie, some of you might remember this movie, was Karate Kid. It's actually a trilogy of Karate Kids when I was young. And I always loved the scenes when the, the young teenage boy, Daniel, he's getting beat up or he's losing, and all of a sudden you see the karate master, Mr. Miyagi, kind of show up. And when he shows up, it's over. It's done. Mr. Miyagi just cleans house, and the rest is history. And that's kind of the tone here. Yahweh is saying, it's over. His patience has run out. He says in verse 12 of chapter 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So above all the supposed gods that the Egyptians would have worshipped, above Pharaoh who thought of himself as a god, and above any of the spiritual realities behind these beliefs, God says, I am Yahweh, and I'm coming. So Yahweh comes down, and the destroyer is unleashed. And the only homes that are spared are those that are marked by the blood of this Passover lamb that we read about. And it becomes clear that even Israel will not be spared from this destroyer that God unleashes when he comes unless they follow these instructions. They are to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and to paint the blood of the lamb on the frame of the doors, protecting those inside from the wrath of God. So Yahweh comes down, the firstborns are killed, and after this, Pharaoh relents and God's people run for it. And I love how they, they, they take Passover. Listen to Exodus chapter 12, verse 11 again. The instructions, instructions are Passover. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. God says, uh, as soon as the judgment passes through, be ready to go. It'd be like God telling us, you know, pack the car, crank it, leave it running, grab some saltine crackers, and run when I say go. God has come, and the battle is going to be quick. 
is kind of the picture there. And so God's people, through the plagues, God brings judgment and he brings redemption. And so what does that have to do with Good Friday and what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, it's pretty clear if you have the eyes to see it as you read through the story in the Gospels that Jesus has come to do battle. He's come with a certain mindset. Don't miss this when you, when you read the story. He came to fight for us. We see that in the same way, God's people are enslaved. And worse than being stuck in Egypt, they're trapped in the sin and the death of their rebellion and the domain and the kingdom of Satan. And I think this is the reason that as Jesus moves about, there's so much demonic activity everywhere he goes. The demons know who he was, who he is, and they're, they're worried and they're acting out. And then in the same way as in Exodus, we see God through Christ in the New Testament starts planning a second Exodus. We see this actually on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verse 30. Luke writes, Behold, two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And the word for departure in Greek is exodon. And so Jesus was talking with Moses about a second exodus that he was intent on accomplishing. And soon after this, we see the tone and the mindset of Jesus is, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And he kind of marches straight into enemy-occupied territory to the heat of, of, of the danger that he would face. It's even so outlandish that we read that some Pharisees try to warn him. In Luke chapter 13, verse 31, Luke writes that that very hour some Pharisees came and they said to him, get away from here. For Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So here is Jesus. He goes straight into the most dangerous part of the battle, and we know what happens after this. He's betrayed. Satan actually possesses Judas Iscariot to betray him. He's captured. He's beaten. He's spit on. He's mocked. And finally, he's crucified. And we come to this scene in Matthew 27 when Jesus is on the cross. Matthew writes, And so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were, with, who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And then it says in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So we see Jesus on the cross, and we see his enemies surrounding him and mocking him, saying, call down your God, save yourself. And then all of a sudden, the sky turns black. And after the story of Exodus, the prophets often re referred to the sky turning dark as a sign that the day of the Lord was at hand. In Amos chapter 8, he writes, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon 
and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. And so if you didn't know the story of the Bible and you never read it, and you just decided one day to pick it up and read it left to right, really carefully, taking notes, you're reading it straight through, you read the story of Exodus, you read Amos, you get to this point in the story, this is what you'd be thinking. You'd be thinking, those Romans and the Jewish leaders are about to die because they've gone way too far and it's about to get ugly because you'd remember the Exodus plagues and you'd remember the sky turning black before Yahweh came and you'd remember the prophecies where Amos would say things like, when the sun goes down, that, when the sun goes out, that means it's game over. And so the darkness again is a warning shot and the next round is the live ammo and Yahweh is coming to judge. But then here's the amazing thing. Here's the unbelievable thing is that the stroke of judgment does come down. But instead of it falling on the Romans and the Jewish leaders, this time it falls on the firstborn son of God. And how can this be and why? C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia writes that there is a, there's a deeper magic. When the righteous one dies in our place, that death itself would start working backwards, that Jesus here is being revealed as our Passover lamb. And what Satan didn't know was that when Jesus died, he was dying in our place, and that the curse of sin, the curse of sin and the curse of death, they died with him. Jesus bore the curse, and when the hammer stroke of the father fell, this time it fell on the Passover lamb of God, and sin and death were defeated. Listen to uh, the words of the prophet Isaiah from the New Living Translation in Isaiah 53. Isaiah writes, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And so we see that the blood of this final Passover lamb covers all of those who have placed their hope and their faith in Christ. And so as Christ on the cross breathes his last, Satan is defeated and a new exodus is accomplished. And as we close our time tonight, I encourage you to to reflect and to remember as we are about to sing about this truth and, um, and go forward when we finish with the spirit of, of gratitude and sobriety about what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can hardly understand how it could be so that you would let your firstborn beloved son die in our place. Father, we thank you for this gift. We thank you that you came in Christ to do battle for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you did not despise the shame of the cross, but for the joy set before you, you endured it on our behalf. And that because of that gift, we can have forgiveness and restoration and, a, and an exodus from the sin and the bondage that we were under. I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would Dig this truth into our hearts tonight. 
And I pray that it would change how we view. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.